Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again to take a ride into that black and gold DeLorean and go back to Steeler yesteryear to view some of those games that you forgot about that helped shape your Pittsburgh Steeler fandom. Hello, friends. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. I am a contributing writer for the last six or seven years, and I am the podcast producer. But alongside me is the longest tenured writer on BTSC, BTSC certified Hall of Famer. His name is Tony Julius Defio, actually Anthony Julius Defio. Tony Jules is here. What's up, TJ? That's my nickname, TJ. I'm, I'm awesome. How are you, man? I did not know that. I'm doing great as well, Tony. TJ. Yeah, well, it's not the first TJ. Sorry, I'm the most legendary one. I can't get around the edge like him. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. So, Tony, no, I'm really excited to go back to this game because this is one that I remember well. I'm going to talk about that more after the show, but we are going to go back to a time when, sadly, a crash of a Spantax charter flight from Madrid to New York cleaned 50 people and injured 110 more. The supergroup Chicago had the country's number one single with Hard For Me To Say I'm Sorry, one of my all-time favorite ballads. I'm sure you probably haven't had to play it for women, but I know I have had to play that because I've had to say sorry in song a lot, Tony. Do you remember that song? I sure do. And uh, speaking of Julius, my uh, uncle, Joel, he grew up in the 70s, or he was an adult in the 70s, and he was a big-time Chicago fan. He had a a huge collection of their records. Moviegoers were falling for Richard Gere and Deborah Winger. They were really big in an officer and a gentleman. And Louis Gossett Jr. won the Academy Award. Absolutely fantastic. 
Is that the one where Richard Gere says, I have no nowhere else to go? Yep. No place to go? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I've seen it. I've seen it. David it's Caruso's in it. Goose from Top Gun's in it. Anthony Edwards. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie from 1982. Fantastic. Lots of great quotable stuff in that. And the very end of the movie, it's a spoiler alert, when, when he comes and gets her, picks her up, takes her out of the factory, yeah. puts his naval hat on her and leaves oh man it's it's great it gets you right there but the big news in football tony was the football world was bracing for a long work stoppage that was just two weeks away and the steelers but this was the first game of the season of that 1982 season let's talk about this game monday night football week one 1982 it's steelers and it's the cowboys in big d tony Two legendary teams from the 70s. They're still going at it in the early 80s. This, this, was, this was a classic. You are correct on that, Tony. But while football was still happening for the time being, there's hope once again in the still city that the glory years of the 1970s could return after two playoff free seasons. The Steelers only had 27 players returning from their Super Bowl 14 championship team of 1979, but younger players like David Little, Frank Pollard, Walter Abercrombie, Rick Woods, Calvin Sweeney, and Mike Merriweather combined with legendary holdovers like Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, Franco Harris, John Stallworth, Mike Webster, Jack Lambert, Donnie Schell, Mel Blunt, and my man Jack Ham. Chuck Knoll still held the reins, but big changes were made as the defense switched for the very first time to a 3-4 alignment, and the offense was adapting to Bradshaw's age with more of a West Coast approach. This was also the first ever Steeler game that sacks would count as an actual stat, as that happened in 1982 as well, Tony. Yeah, this is the first year. It's, it's funny because all the great defenses they had in the 70s, and Joe Green, Elsie Greenwood, Dwight White, and, and sacks didn't count back then. And, and unfortunately, Joe Green retires, they cut Elsie, and, and now sacks are an official stat. It was, it was kind of funny. You know, it's something when I write an article about Pittsburgh Steeler history, and I do that a lot on BTSC, I'm the one that likes to go back in time a lot. And when we talk about the sack list, especially right now with TJ Watt, you know, he is flying up the sack list, you know, Cam Hayward's there too. I do two lists. I do the unofficial list and the official list. Now, James Harrison is number one on both, but it does count the uh, sacks that they could go back and find in the national football league for these players. And some of these guys are considered in the top 10 as well. Elsie Greenwood is in the top 10 on both official and unofficial list. And so is Joe green as well. I always try to keep all those guys sacks alive and I do the unofficial list. I think that's more important when you're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, th those guys deserve that kind of recognition for, for what they did. Somebody like the legendary Deacon Jones, I think he said he had 190 unofficial sacks. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but a lot of those guys, I, I guess they can embellish, but, but we'll never know for sure because it, it didn't become official until 1982. If Will Chamberlain could sleep with 20,000 women, then Deacon Jones could have his 190 sacks. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's, I think it's plausible. It's plausible. <laughs> 
Their opponent in this game was a familiar Super Bowl rival and a team that went to the previous two NFC title games. Yeah, the Cowboys were still relevant at this time. Tom Landry was looking to his so-called America's team to get back to the big game. And you know I'm big on so-called America's team because Art and Dan Rooney were offered that title first by NFL Films. And they said, no, we're Pittsburgh's team. We're not America's team. Let somebody else have it. And they took it and they ran with it. And that's fine. But we know the truth, Tony. We certainly do. And, and the way things are now, every, every time the Steelers run a road, at least prior to 2020, I mean, it, it's no doubt that Steelers are America's team and probably the world's team. When you, when you see the following they have internationally, it's, it's, it's amazing. I agree with you completely. So the Cowboys had won 18 straight games at Texas Stadium. However, the Steelers had won the last six matchups between these two teams. One streak among the two legendary clubs was about to end that night with Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford, and the rest of the team on Monday Night Football. Both of Bradshaw's backups, Cliff Stout and Mark Malone, were hurt and unavailable. So Bradshaw, who was not really a guy that held up well all the time at this point, you know, he had had to make sure that he did not get hurt. The Steelers had the inexperienced Jeff Quinn from Nebraska on the roster, who I have not heard of until this very moment, Tony, but they seemed intent on not playing him and were pretty much working without a net when it comes to the health of Terry Bradshaw in this game. Things have really changed in that regard over the years, Tony. You don't go into a game like that now without having somebody ready to go. If that happened today, there'd, there'd be entire uh, radio segments dedicated to why the Steelers weren't prepared, more prepared in, in, in the quarterback department. So that would never that would never go on today. Raphael Septien, he boomed the opening kickoff, but rookie Fred Bahanen deemed it returnable, and he was right when he found a seam and he crossed midfield. Good job, Bohannon. At that point. The rookie who spurned the CFL because of homesickness and joined the Steelers inexplicably coughed up the ball to Marty Hunter of the Cowboys. The rookie from West Virginia Salem College, a college that I'm very familiar with, put the home team in good position to start the game at their own 40. So I said, good job to Fred. Now I'm saying, Fred, what's up with that? Cowboys quarterback Danny White engineered an efficient drive via passes to Drew Pearson and the running combo of Tony Dorsett and Ron Springs. But fortune turned back Pittsburgh's way when center Tom Rafferty stepped on White's foot, causing him to bobble the handoff, which never safely got into Tony D's hands. David Little, subbing for the injured Jack Lambert, recovered it to thwart the Cowboys' threat, Tony. Defense coming up big. Jack Lambert's not in, but David Little is. Absolutely. And this is a nice little preview of what he would be for them in in coming years after Lambert had to retire. This was a big moment in the game because to start off the the first uh, season or the first game of the season and and you fumble the kickoff, I mean, that has to be pretty deflating, especially on the road on Monday Night Football. And then to to be able to to thwart that and get get the ball right back, that was huge. Maybe that's why we don't know Fred Bohannon's name now. (laughs) <laughs> but we do know David Littles. All those years, I, I had no idea that Jack Lambert didn't play in this game. And you, you used to see all those highlights of, of him playing in the early 80s at Texas Stadium. Those sound bites of him being so intense and screaming at the refs and saying, that'll cool your bleep off or whatever. Turns out it had to be a preseason game because they didn't play any regular season games 
in, in Texas Stadium during the, his whole tenure here, other than 1982. So he was intense at, at all times. So I was shocked that he wasn't in this game. A lot has been said about the Steelers going more towards the San Francisco West Coast offense, Tony, using the short passing game. And Bradshaw, he did just that. But TB12 also found John Stallworth deep for a long game. A mere two plays later, Terry and number 82 connected once again on a six-yard scoring pass as the visitors put up the first points in this game. Alas, it would remain only six to nothing as rookie Rick Woods mishandled Mike Webster's snap for the point after. You had a safety handling the snaps, being your place kick holder back then. That's really interesting. With that, Gary Anderson never got a chance to convert his very first extra point attempt. Rick Woods was a very good player in his years in Pittsburgh. Very valuable. Did it all. I'm a big fan of number 22, Rick Woods, a guy that not a lot of people remember, Tony. I hate to make this comparison because people might think I'm crazy, but if Rick Woods had come along a decade earlier, he, maybe he's Mike Wagner instead of you know just some unknown guy because he came along in the 80s when they were in the transition. But yeah, he was a really good player for them. Danny White took over at his own 34 and got tripped up once again by another one of his linemen. But this time he got up and threw a first down to Doug Cosby. After runs by Dorsett and a catch and run by Springs, the Cowboys were in a goal-to-goal situation. The Steelers looked to have held when Billy Joe Dupree, reminiscent of Jackie Harris in Super Bowl XIII, dropped the ball as he was standing all alone in the end zone. But a John Goodman penalty, no, he wasn't the big guy from Roseanne. Well, (laughs) he had a penalty for roughing. He gave the drive new life. This time, White completed a third down pass for the touchdown to Drew Pearson for a 7-6 lead near the end of the first quarter, Tony. Yeah, that was huge. John Goodman, he wasn't doing anything to make people forget about LC and Mean Joe right there, but he gave the Cowboys new life and they took advantage. I will say this about John Goodman, though. He started a lot of years in the very early 80s on the defensive line for the Steelers. Very good player for them. In fact, I actually featured him on one of our thumbnails for one of our shows the other day for my tales from 2 a.m. from last week. Actually, if you don't know who number 95 is in the early 80s, actually before Greg Lloyd came along, it was John Goodman. And he's one of those guys, look up. He is a lot better than you would ever think that he would be, but he wasn't right here. That was a crucial penalty. The lack of defense continued in the second quarter. Bradshaw hooked up with number 86, their third wide receiver, Jim Smith, for a seven-yard score. But then Cosby continued his productive night, I guess it was the Cosby show, with Mm -hmm. a scoring catch from the Steelers' 12. It's now 14-6 to in favor of the home team bad guys, Tony. It wasn't a a great night for defense. As we're about to find out, it was going to be a great night for the black and gold eventually. After Benny Cunningham dropped a pass while surrounded by the ghost of nobody on the next series, the Steelers brought in a barefooted punter by the name of John Goodson. Here's another guy I was not aware of. I did not know that they had a barefooter back then. When I was that age, I would have been all over this thinking that was the coolest thing. I was actually one of the kids in my backyard who would kick barefoot because I thought it was cool. I loved anybody. I know the Dolphins had a punter at the time that would kick barefoot. And I thought it was just the coolest thing, Tony. Yeah. It's funny you said that. Cause I, I remember this when I was a kid and he played this year uh, in place of Craig Colquitt, who was injured for the season. And I, and I thought it was neat too. Like, wow, the Steelers have one of those barefooted punters. And I, I, like you, I thought it was cool to see 
uh, barefooted kickers and punters. I never understood why they did it, but I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, I can't really imagine it being comfortable because I know it was not comfortable when I was doing it with my little football back then. Trying to punt in, in three of a stadium in December with a bare foot. Wow. <laughs> You're not kidding. Now, yeah, like I said, Miami had one, but hey, that's not bad. It's Miami. You can get away with that. With 6.57 left in the half, it was the game's first punt. The ensuing Cowboy drive ended with a Rafael Septien miss. Pittsburgh then dodged a major bullet on the next series when a botched flea flicker between Franco and TB12 should have been recovered by Ed Tutal Jones inside the Steelers' 25-yard line. But Jones opted to try to pick up the ball with an eye towards scoring. Gosh, is that a Cowboys thing? Leon Lett did it in the future. He should have been watching this game and know that Ed Tutal Jones did it. He mishandled it, though, and Steve Corson recovered for the Steelers, averting a sure disaster. The Steelers would then punt again, and the Cowboys were marching towards field goal range when Donnie Shell, like he was shot out of a cannon, like he always does when we do these shows, pummeled White on a safety blitz, and Tom Beasley, another underrated great Steeler from those years, fell on the ball. The Steelers were in business and looking to score now, but Gary Anderson made fans wonder why the Steelers cut David Trout when his 35-yarder was blocked. The score at the half was Dallas 14 and Pittsburgh 13, Tony. Yeah, it was, it was a great play by Shell to, to, to set the Steelers up. And as we say, it's no wonder he's in the Hall of Fame now because every, every game we do from this era, he, he's always a star. It had to be deflating to have that block at the end of the half and still be down by one point. Donnie Shell was a guy for me that was always there. In fact, he and John Stallworth were the guys that lasted the longest from the 70s from those four Super Bowl teams. They retired together at the end of 1987. So I knew those guys better than anybody. But now that I'm doing this show, and I am actually mad, even though he's in the Hall of Fame, I'm mad that it took him this long to get in because every single show that we do that he played in a game, he made a play, Tony. He made a huge play. It's either a big interception or a touchdown or something. That guy was absolutely phenomenal. And I could actually say he's the most underrated of the Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Famers. There's no question about it. I mean, if you look at his stats alone, if he was playing on a team that was his average and he happened to be the lone star, he may, may have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. I know it might sound crazy to some people, but he was really that good, but he kind of got lost in the wash with all those uh, great defenders, all those Hall of Famers on that team. And, 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 you, and you're right. It, it took him way too long to get voted into Hall of Fame. He almost went to the Denver Broncos. In fact, that was the team he was leaning towards because it was two teams, the Steelers and Denver vying for Donnie Shell. But it was either his high school coach or his college coach at South Carolina State that said, no, this is the team you need to go to. They are having some changes at safety. There's going to be some room for you there, and they play your style of ball. It's a perfect fit for you. Go to Pittsburgh. He decided to listen to advice, and it's a good thing he did. He has four rings to show for it and a Hall of Fame ring, Tony. Absolutely. Sometimes life's all about just making the right decision when you're at the crossroads, and he clearly made the right one there, and it changed his life for the better. We are at the crossroads of this show as we're at the halfway point. So do me a favor, 
Just take a little bit of a break and we will be right back on the Steelers Retro Show with part two of Steelers Cowboys 1982 Monday Night Football. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Anthony Julius Defio is with me as well. As we go back in time and realize what life was like for two 10-year-olds in Western Pennsylvania getting to stay up late and watch this football game, the Steelers and the Cowboys in primetime, week one, facing a strike in a few weeks. In the third quarter, the Steelers forced Dallas's first punt of the game. Danny White, who doubled as Landry's punter, had his punt blocked by a diving Keith Willis Another great stealer, Tony. Oh, I've, I always love talking about Keith Willis. Talk about your underrated players, an undrafted free agent in '82, and what a way to make a, make a mark for the first time by by, by uh, blocking a punt in, in in your first game. And he's one of the all time great sackers for the Pittsburgh Steelers on both lists. It got a little weird here, though, Tony, as Dallas recovered for a first down, but since the ball was recovered past the line of scrimmage instead of behind the Steelers were actually awarded possession and set up inside the 20-yard line. A few plays later, Frank Pollard rumbled in for a one-yard score. With the Anderson conversion, the Steelers took a 20-14 lead. But there were some uneasy moments as John Stallworth was injured on a late hit by Dennis Thurman on the play before the Pollard touchdown. Lynn Swam was already out of this game with an injury. To see him go down at the time, it had to be pretty concerning for the Steelers. The Cowboys looked to answer, but Danny White was intercepted by Rick Woods, the rookie from Boise State. We just talked about him. He returns kicks. He returns interceptions. He plays kick holds. He does it all, Tony. With the ball on the Dallas 35, the Steelers pounded with Pollard and Franco. But then on third down, Bradshaw took to the air and located Jim Smith once again for a 15-yard score. All of a sudden, the Steelers led 27-13. to 13. And Tony, you mentioned the fact that now Star Wars down, Swan wasn't going to be in this game, but the Steelers were so blessed to have a third wide receiver number one if they needed one in Jim Smith. That's how good he was. Absolutely. And I know he was one of your favorite players from the 80s and the uh, Monday Night Broadcast crew, they, they spoke very highly of him. I think Howard, Howard Covasell said he could have started for an, any number of teams, but you know, being behind Swan and Stallworth, that, that made it tougher. But they were stacked at receiver, and, and he was a very valuable player for them in this game because of the injuries. And you always like to talk about Jim Smith. If he would have been here instead of the USFL in the mid-'80s, the Steelers could have gone a whole lot further. Could have been a, a completely different story for those 80s Steelers, but you know, it just wasn't meant to be. White, who was spectacular in the first half, continued to implode in the second half. He was actually a record company owner too, Tony, and he inadvertently collaborated with Jack Ham hmm. at the Dallas 32 for Ham's 32nd career pick. 
Bradshaw then targeted Stallworth, who was back in the game after the injury, but the drive stalled. Anderson then came on and drilled the first field goal of his career with a 26-yarder. At 30-14, to the scoring for the third quarter was complete. There was plenty of scoreboard movement in the fourth quarter, though. After a Lauren Tay sack, another guy that you don't realize was with that team for 10 years, but so very valuable as a depth piece on that defense. Anderson then beautifully converted again from 43 yards, but Dallas would not go away, Tony. White perfectly threw deep to a tightly covered Tony Hill by Shell for a 45-yard score to cut the margin to 12 points at 33-21. to After Bradshaw and the Men of Steel failed to convert, Goodson punted once again. Another Cosby catch and a trick play involving Pearson passing to Hill got the ball deep inside Steeler territory. Then Dupree held on to the pigskin this time, snagging a white pass in the back of the end zone. All of a sudden, 33 to 28. Were you worried, Tony? Were you still up, Tony? I believe I was. I remember this game and I was worried at that point. And this is kind of like a callback to Super Bowl 13. You're up 33 or 14. Just like that is 33, 28. They just would not go away. With less than six minutes remaining, Bradshaw masterfully drained the clock with crisp passes and called on his running backs for second draining runs. A highlight was a 20 yard pass to Greg Hawthorne, the converted running back. He was the number one pick of the 1979 draft at RD and Hawthorne was in because Lynn Swan's hamstring had rendered him out in pregame. With less than a minute left, the drive stalled at the 23. Needing one and a half yards, the Monday night football crew wondered aloud whether or not Noel would trust a rookie kicker in this situation. The offense stayed on the field during the timeout, and it looked like they were going to go for it. But doing that and failing would have given Dallas a chance to win, just like missing the kick would have. At the very end of the timeout, Noel sent out the rookie from Syracuse that they got after Buffalo cut him at the end of preseason. And Anderson sent the kick 40 yards high and straight up the middle to seal the victory. The Steelers, as they would do so many times from that game until 1995, jubilantly celebrated a late game clutch boot by number one from South Africa. One of my all-time favorites, Gary Anderson, Tony. Yeah, he's one of my all-time favorites, too, and it was so great to see how excited he was when he made that kicker. Here's a rookie. You could tell he was so excited to, to be an NFL player and, and celebrate with his teammates after making that. And that would have been good from 50-plus yards. That's all, that's all how uh, strong his leg was. He, he was a really strong kicker. Beating the Cowboys back then was like beating a division rival. This game was pretty much the final chapter between most of the main characters from that amazing 1970s rivalry. Listening to the broadcast with Frank Gifford, Don Meredith, and the incomparable Howard Cosell made the game even more fun to watch. Turn out the lights. The party's over. We talked about that last week, too. Love it when he does that. The season, though, was interrupted because of the strike that followed week two, and both teams made the 16-team tournament. The Cowboys would fall in their third straight NFC Championship game, while the Steelers would fall to San Diego in the first round. It's hard not to wonder what might have been, had the labor strife not reduced the season to a mere nine games. Some teams might have suffered season-damning injuries, and the whole season could have shifted had there been seven more contests. These two franchises could have possibly met in Pasadena for a third Super Bowl, 
but history gave us what we got and we'll never know. But on this night, Bradshaw, Stallworth, Harris, and Ham gave Steelers Nation another Super Bowl caliber performance, Tony. Yeah, it was it was a great game, and, and again, it was it was a look at, into the past with the, with these two teams, the, so many games that they played against each other in the seventies and the two Super Bowls, and it was the last great game between the two, and, and I, I still remember it to this day, thirty nine years later. So you were allowed to stay up for this game. I remember being in my living room all by myself. So I, I guess my mom was sleeping, and my brothers and sisters must have been sleeping too, because I was the only one in the living room going nuts watching this game. I love it. As for the 10-year-old me, I was all jacked up with cake and pop from my sister's 14th birthday celebration. My parents let me stay up for the first half of the game and then made me go to bed at halftime. My dad, already down on the new kicker, went to his room to watch the rest of the game. And that night marked the first time I snuck out of bed against orders. The next morning, I was talking to my dad before the bus came and marveled about how great the Steelers' new kicker was with three field goals in the second half. My dad smiled and asked, and just how do you know? So here I am in a complete panic. So I started to babble some nonsense that was getting me nowhere. I I read it in the paper and my dad's like, I've got the newspaper, buddy. So my dad just interrupted and said, I wasn't born yesterday. Just don't tell your mom. (laughs) That's pretty good. Hey, you know, it's hard to keep a a little kid away from something that they're passionate about. So, you know, I, I don't blame you. I would have done the same thing. So, Tony, flash forward 12 years, I was working radio at Power 92 in Johnstown, PA. I walked in and my morning show co-host, his name was Just Jim. He couldn't wait to tell me that a Steeler would be our morning show guest. And I was like, what? Nationwide was doing something with a prom promise at the time. So when I found out it was Gary Anderson, I went nuts. I remember being on the show and I was in the same studio with Gary. We, Jim and I were separated by a window. And so I had all the guests in my little part of the studio and he's standing right in front of me in a suit. And we took a picture together, the three of us in something I still have till this day. I remember Jim saying to him, I got to tell you, Gary Anderson, I have never met more of a Steeler fan than my partner here, Brian Fox. That was my name, Brian Fox at the time. Um, I took a radio name. (laughs) So as cheesy as it was. And so Gary was so cool to me. So I relayed this exact story to Gary about my dad. He was one of the nicest guys that I ever met. And he was all thrilled about this story. But the greatest kicker in Pittsburgh Steeler history told me I was making him feel old and sighed when I concluded my antidote with, then I got on the bus to go to the sixth grade and his (laughs) face just dropped. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. it's funny, 10, 10 to 22, it's, it's, uh, it's not really that long of a time, but it is really, when you think about it, you go from being a little kid to an adult. I, I, I can't even imagine what, what was going through his mind, but, but hey, at least, at least he knew you were a fan. He was so awesome. He was the nicest guy in the world, talking about family. He took that picture with us. It was one of my greatest interactions with a Steeler. I've had a few. I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of interactions, but just a real guy. And I really enjoyed it. I had so many years of watching number one kick. And this is one of those games that in the end, it didn't mean anything, but to a 10 year old, you know it, I know it. It meant a whole heck of a lot. So Tony, thanks so much for watching this great game with me. This is so fun. I love talking about these old games, just as I like talking about ones from 2020. 
Oh yeah, I I love going back and, and, and watching these old games. In the early '80s, they were so special to me. That's when I became a fan of the team, and and to go back and watch these games again, it, it means a lot to me. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun doing these with you. Well, thanks once again for Tony Defio. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, and we ask you as always to do three things: be safe, be true to yourself, and always be behind the steel curtain. You can take us away, we don't mind, but you better promise us we'll be back in time. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.